not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. This is the good news of Christ. All right. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for Gordy and for how he serves us and how he leads us. And uh, we just invite your Holy Spirit um, to flow through him and open our ears to hear today. Amen. Thanks, Wade. Well, good morning, everyone. Big welcome to Alec and Crystal, who back to visit us today with Jocelyn and Millie. Great to see you guys here. And uh, this is uh, an intergenerational communion Sunday. So in about uh, 25, uh, sorry, 30 minutes, uh, we're going to be calling the children from downstairs to come back up and join us uh, as we are intentionally uh, celebrating communion together with uh, our, our children as a church and have just found uh, a remarkable sense of richness uh, and God's presence in that. And so we'll be inviting them back up to participate with us. And my sermon this morning is going to kind of lead into that. Um, there's actually a word that came, and we've been really encouraging this. We're kind of wrapping up a series uh, in Word that we've been doing this fall called The Upside Down Kingdom, which focuses on the, the heart of God for children and our vision of being a, a multi-generational community. And uh, we've been really encouraging being proactive in listening to children and hearing them and, and stopping to reflect on what they draw. And I, I think a very significant word came through one of our children this week that has just been uh, uh, following uh, consistently a theme through this whole service. It's remarkable. I mean, I got the word before the service, and then just to hear the different words that have been shared through worship and word, uh, it's remarkable. And so we're going to reflect on uh, this word from one of our children at the uh, communion time. So, um, Advent. Advent is the beginning of the church year. Uh, the church year uh, is one calendar year that usually begins around this time of the year, around the beginning of December, uh, in three-year cycles. So in other words, there's year A, year B, and year C, and it goes in three-year cycles. And the idea is that during those three years, you basically get the story of Scripture if you attend church every Sunday. <laughs> Sorry, I got a twitch. Something wrong with my eye. Um, <clears throat> that's the idea. But even if you miss church, we do have podcasts. Uh, we do have online resources where you can follow the lectionary which the lectionary is a fancy word for the schedule of readings that we do every Sunday. And there's usually four. We usually don't get to all of them every Sunday. We usually do a couple. Today we read all four readings, and uh, we're going to re reflect on them. So it's the beginning of the first year. The word Advent means? Coming. 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 Yeah. It's... it's when we say Christ's first advent, it was his first coming. His second advent is his second coming. And the season of advent is remembering the first and anticipating the second. In other words, advent is, is a reminder to us that we are people between the times. That God came once. And we reflect back on that, not in nostalgia, but in anticipation that he's coming again. And that we can learn lessons from the first coming that will prepare us for the second. 
And furthermore, we can learn lessons from the first coming and anticipate the second coming and in so doing, encounter the risen Christ now. So, with that in view, as we move towards communion, our goal is to encounter Jesus today, to encounter him now, that even now as we listen to his word, as we interact, that, that he is encountering us. This is not nostalgic longing for the good old days, nor is it some chasing a carrot, this someday, someday things will be good. But there's this sense that he's here now. So, it's a view to the present. And in so doing, how shall we then live as the people of God? He came, he's coming, he's here now. How shall we then live? How shall we respond? Let's look back on our readings this morning. The first reading was from Psalm. Psalm. Second reading was Isaiah. Yeah. Psalm 122, I was glad when they, what? Said to me, let us what? Go to the house of the Lord. So there's this sense of, yeah, I've got a little granddaughter named Hannah, and she's a, a go big or go home kind of girl. And anytime I say anything, Hannah, do you want to go swimming? Yeah! It's not like, sure, Grandpa. It's, yeah! It's like all or nothing. So I have to be careful about anything I ask her, because if I say, ah, just kidding, I'd be in big trouble. And there's this sense of, yeah, with these people, with the psalmist, when he, he wrote, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. So there's this sense of, it's not like, okay, I guess it's time to go to Jerusalem again. Oh, I guess it's time to go worship at the house of the Lord again. There's this sense of, wow, what a moment. I was sitting with our homestay the other day, our homestay student, and we were talking, and the Lord has just led beautifully in some conversations that we've had spiritually, even though she, can, she professes no faith. It's, it's remarkable, again, how the Holy Spirit has been coming in our home. And we were talking about how that, that, that eternity past and eternity future, uh, eternity past is behind us and eternity future is ahead of us. And here we are, she's from halfway around the world, a Korean homestay, staying with a, a pastor and his wife here in Vancouver, and we have this little window, and, the, and the, the aspect of that window just hit us as we were talking. And she said this, she said this to me, this moment will never come again. She, there was something about recognizing the power of the moment that we were in together. And there is something about our existence and reality and the life of God that recognizes the power of now, the power of the present. You know, to what's his name wasn't totally off, right? The, there, there is something about that. There is truth in that, the power of now. Um, and the psalmist recognized this, that it was, there, was a, there was something about this moment that you just, you just don't let moments pass you by. You don't just let life pass you by. You know, like this, they say there's two kinds of people that, uh, I, I, I can't remember how it goes, you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way, but some people just get run over by life, you know, and there's this sense of, of, of just, not just letting life run you over, but grabbing it, but seizing it. It's an interesting verse in John. The light shone into the darkness, and the darkness did not. And there's various translations of that, but one of the translations is that the darkness did not seize the light. It was just passive. Just kind of let it, let it go. So there's something about Advent that says, this is a moment. Let's seize it. Seize the moment. And this theme continues in the second reading that we read from Isaiah chapter 2, which says in the last days, which, by the way, that's our time. We, we know that began at Pentecost, didn't it? 
It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be the highest of the mountains. And I'm a mountain guy. I like staying in Alps cabins way above the tree line with no internet, no power, no running water except the kind you run with with the pail. Um, that's the kind of uh, mountain man I am. I like that. I, I, if I ever could climb Everest, I'd love to do it. Um, but it says the mountain of the Lord will be the highest. It's, it's the mountain of his temple. And it will be exalted above all the hills and all the nations will stream to it. The Vietnamese, Nepalese, Indian, Chinese, South American. All the nations will stream to the temple of the Lord. And many people will say, come, let us go to the house of the Lord. And again, the, 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 the prophet now, Isaiah, agrees with the psalmist that there is this sense about the kingdom of God coming when people seize it, when people say, this is our time. Let's go. Let's do this. There's something about Advent that it, it's like, how the heck did those wise guys, the magi, ever have the presence of mind to detect that star? There was a lot of other people that saw the star. But there was something they seized. They were watching. Many people believe that even Moses, when he saw his burning bush, that spontaneous combustion in the, in the desert was very common because it was so hot and dry. And so it took a special watchful eye for, for Moses to go, wait a minute, this is, this is different. And he could have been despairing. He could have been disillusioned. He could have said, ah, I blew it in Egypt. I've missed my call. God's done with me. But even after 40 years of seeming temptation to be disillusioned and despairing and to lose his vision and his hope, which we've heard about today, he's still looking. See, and he seized it when it came. The Magi seized it. The shepherds were watching their flocks. There was a, they could have said, ah, what's the point? Nobody sees but they're watching, they're vigilant. There's something about Advent that not only uh, sees, but not only seizes, but watches. It's, it's alert. There's an alertness. So with regards to watchfulness, there's a watchfulness with a view to opportunity. And our, our reading in Romans talks about that it's time to wake up from our slumber, that Advent is about don't go to sleep, that we are people of the day, not people of the night. Live as people of the day, not carousing. How do you get to sleep? You, carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, where you're like that servant in Matthew that Jesus talked about who said, my Lord delays is coming, and he turns and he begins to beat his fellow servant. This critical spirit. When you get cynical and, and you lose hope, you start to turn on other people and you, you blame them. And Not in dissension or jealousy, but clothe yourself with Christ. Do not think on how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I always hate it when they trans translate it flesh because... The temptation has, begun, has been to think of that as your body. But when the Bible talks about flesh, the Greek word sarx, the NIV translates it sinful nature, but even that's not adequate because it, 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 it's kind of somewhere between flesh and sinful nature, but really what that word means is the old age. There's a new age coming, the kingdom of God, and there's an old age we've been, we've been brought out of, and that, that old age and that new age is in conflict right down the middle of our hearts. So when the Bible talks about flesh or sinful nature, it's talking about that old age that's in you, those old patterns, whether mind, body, or spirit, or relational. And then our Matthew reading talks about Noah. And it says that as in the days of the Son of Man, it will be as in the days of Noah. And 
that says they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And I've read that and thought, well, what's wrong with that? It's good to eat. It's good to drink. It's good to marry and be given in marriage. In fact, Advent and marriage goes very well with our family. Kathleen and I got married two days before Christmas. We were crazy in love. And we made our loved ones drive 400 miles through the Alberta blizzards <laughs> two days before Christmas to, to enjoy our wedding. I'm sure they did. I did. But they've been getting revenge ever since because have you ever tried to celebrate your anniversary at Christmas time? Yeah. And then my daughter, of course, she got married two days before us on her 25th anniversary. Their wedding was two days before our 25th anniversary. Needless to say, we decided to celebrate in springtime. Yeah. So Advent and Christmas and marriage go very much together in our family. So is there something wrong with marriage? Is there some? The, the point is there. By the way, Google Russell Crowe Noah and watch the trailer for an upcoming movie. It's, it's quite interesting, oh, yeah. uh, timing-wise, with Advent. Great little, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trailer that kind of gives you goosebumps. Uh, so I, I'm, I, I'm not saying that, I don't know how good the movie's going to be, but the trailer's good. <laughs> um, maybe just watch the trailer and get saved. I don't know. Um, but it's not that these things are wrong, but it says that up until the day the flood came, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage in marriage, and they did not know. They did not, they were oblivious. So it's not that any of these things are wrong, it's just they're good things, but they blinded them to the opportunity, to the time, to the doorway, to the doorway to life that God was offering. And if the trailer is any indication, it certainly, it certainly portrays that in the show. And if you don't like the show, then just go back to reading the Bible. <laughs> so, so where, what, where is the Holy Spirit pressing us in terms of opportunities? Well, I, I realize that every morning I've, I, I've gotten up and every, every, I've gotten into this habit of just walking the streets of our neighborhood in the early morning hours. And... and uh, and through a discipline of gratitude, just thanking God every morning, and not just out of rote or some kind of uh, ritual, uh, although there's nothing wrong with ritual, but it, it's, it's just from my heart, I just feel this gratitude. Lord, you've given me another day. You've given me another day. I mean, did you, you know that 26 years ago, I was 30 years old, so do the math and you know how old I am now, but I didn't think I'd live to see the end of that year. I thought I was going to die. I was so sick and so broken. And I was so lost. I believed I was damned, that God wanted nothing to do with me. That when I die, I'd spend eternity in hell. By the way, I still feel that way sometimes. So it's not totally gone. I'll walk with a limp probably for the rest of my life. So if any of you suffer depression and... November is a great month. Don't read the book of Jeremiah and the book of November. That's my pastoral advice. Uh, but I didn't think I'd live to see the end of that year. And here I am. I remember that year God, God quickened a scripture to me from Isaiah, and, and the, the gist of it was that one day you're going to be a grandpa. And my kids were 11 and 8 at the time, and I remember thinking, that is such an unbelievable promise. I... I couldn't even grasp that I could ever be a grandpa. So you remember when Samuel came along, just what that did to me. It was because he represented, uh, many years later, a promise that God had given me. So every morning I wake up, I just, it's gravy. Every morning it's gravy. Another day, you're kidding. You gotta be kidding. Woo! I feel a bit like Scrooge, you know, after he gets another chance. You know, I, I really relate to that guy. It's like, you're kidding. Crash it! You're going to get it. A raise. 
<laughs> you know, he goes crazy. I love that. Just love that. But see, that's what Advent is. It's the recognition that God has given us an opportunity, that there's good news, that the kingdom has come. There's a new start, that our sins are forgotten, that he's taken care of it all. There is born to you this day in, in where is it? Bethlehem. A Savior, Christ the Lord. So with regards to opportunities, we've really felt the Lord wants to just impress on us again the incredible opportunity. You know, two billion years from now, you'll be somewhere in space. You'll be somewhere in eternity. You'll be somewhere maybe in charge of a whole galaxy. I don't know. The Bible says, eye is not seen or ear heard. The things that God, and we will judge angels and rule worlds. I don't know, but one day you'll look back and you'll think of these neighbors you had behind you in your back alley, in front of you, and beside you, and before you. And just like our little homestay student, you're going to recognize that was a window. This was an opportunity, as Paul said in Acts chapter 17, God has set the times, the seasons, and the boundaries where people live. Your neighbors are not there by accident. And it's an opportunity to love them when they have a baby to bring over a celebratory meal or to give a welcome gift to new neighbors that move in or if there's a tragedy to show love and compassion. And when it's Advent season, whoa, it's almost like barbecue season in, in summertime for, for Canada, right? So with love, timing is everything. And I love to tell the story that Jay Pathak, we had him at the BC Regional Gathering this year. And they brought in, uh, he's a pastor of the vineyard in Denver, the Mile High Vineyard. And he's part of this ministerial, and they, 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 they invited the mayor to speak to the ministerial. And um, they said, how can we as Christians, you know, serve the city better and work alongside of you, making Denver a better, uh, better city? So the mayor came and spoke to this ministerial, and he talked about social problems, the gangs, the drugs, the, you know, the crime, the traffic, all the things that big, city, big cities, and, and the growth of Denver is just staggering, the kind of growth we can't even comprehend, the, the numbers that are moving into that city, as, as, as fast as it's growing here, too. And then the mayor said to this, he looked at the pastors and he said, actually what we've discovered is that the key to almost every social problem we, in urban settings is if people would just be good neighbors. That it, it, it would take care of all the social problems. It's just people learning how to be neighbors in their city. So he leaves and Jay Pathak looked around at his colleagues and he says, am I the only one that's embarrassed here? He says, we've just had the mayor of our city come and tell us as a group of Christian leaders that it would actually be a good idea to do what Jesus said. Love your neighbor. And what if when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he actually meant your real neighbor, not some metaphorical neighbor, not some hypothetical neighbor, but your real neighbor that lives beside you or across from you, or in front of you, or with our housing arrangements in Vancouver, above you, or beneath you, right? And so, I can echo Jay's uh, words and embarrassment, because Vancouver City, if you go to their website, Vancouver City believes the same thing, that that mayor of Denver, you'll, you'll find that cities are recognizing there's such power in neighboring because uh, they're putting grants. They have grants available that you can start applying for. There's deadlines uh, for summer block parties that, you know, last year when we did this series, we were too late for some of these grants. Now we can actually start getting ready for summer because I think it's the end of February or something that you can get a grant for, for block parties. You guys have used that, right? Kirsten. So, be thinking about that. Let's think ahead. Let's plan. And maybe Advent can be an opportunity, too, uh, for 
just breaking the ice a little more. So what we did when we introduced this last spring is we introduced this little block map. And you'll see on here, um, this, this represents your house where you live, whether it's an apartment or a single family house or whatever you live in. And then this, these represent your neighbors beside you maybe across the street or in the, across the back alley from you, or if you're in an apartment, across the hall. Um, and just some other neighbors that might be within close proximity to you there. Does anybody not have one? Yeah, if you want one of these, these are fridge magnets. We have one up in our, our fridge. So you're welcome to take these and, and work on this. And what I'd like us to do is a little bit of a... Just a little uh, kind of a workshop here. So what I'd like you to do is just, and some of you did this last spring, but it's just kind of review, is I'd like you to write the names of your neighbors. And if you, if you can't write on that magnet thing, I don't know, does it need a special pen? No, you should be able to. OK, so a regular pen can work on that. If you're having trouble with it, use your bulletin. It's in the bulletin as well. So write the name of your neighbors, both on your right hand, on your left, and then across the street, across the alley, or across the hall, or just, and it, you know, I know the housing in Vancouver is like Jerusalem, their first psalm. It's like a city compact. <laughs> and they're actually trying to make it more compact. Densification. Lots of densification proposals out there. Some people are pretty mad. I think they're living in a bit of a dream world. I don't think there's any other way. But uh, write the name of the, of the people. Just take a minute and do that. I'll do it too. Take a minute. Just write the names of your neighbors. How many are done? <laughs> All right. So just while you're doing that, let me just add another thing. And that is the, if you can add, put some information about that. Maybe you know a little more than their name. Maybe you know something about them in terms of their, oh, you know, they're a teacher or they're, they're a mom. They have two kids, this kind of thing. Now I know some of you, you're new to where you are, and it's, it's, there's, there's no guilt trips. I'm just, where you are is where you are, so I'm just trying to help you determine where you are. And then finally, some of you may know a little more deep information, like what kind of some of the heart issues that are going on in their life. Maybe they've been going through something or they're, they're facing some issues with their family or finances or work or vocation or whatever. School. So how many got at least one name? Raise your hand. Well, that's pretty good. How many got more than one name? Raise your hand. Good. Yeah. Three? Very good. Four? Five? Six? Wow. Well, we'll stop there. That's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, if you just moved, of course, it's... You have a bit of a disadvantage. Um, although moving, I will say, take advantage of the moving. Right? Hey, do you have a lawnmower? <laughs> Can I borrow your snow shovel? <laughs> you know, intentionally lose your snow shovel or something, but don't need it too often in Vancouver, of course. But 
So our vision is to, we said, is for our neighbor to move from being a stranger to an acquaintance, and, uh, and then from acquaintance to relationship. So likely, you know, a number of us have, have a number of acquaintances where we see people, we know them by first name, we say hi, we may talk a little bit over the fence. But you know, as you start going into their home or they start coming into your home, you have them over for a meal, you take advantage of Christmas, like the Pontalti's roasting chestnuts over an open fire. Well, that'll, that'll make neighbors fast, right? Um, and so the block map assignment is, is where you can work on this. It was kind of funny, I realized a little while ago that we have our magnet on the fridge of our house with the names of the people. And one of our neighbors uh, always helps us when we're away. They, they collect our mail, they, we give them a key, and <laughs> so I realized that they probably see their names on our, <laughs> on our little block map, so I didn't say anything. So. Um, and then, you know, moving into acquaintance, it might be a block party, it might be just party, it might be just a way, you know, it, it depends on where you live and what your living circumstances are. Some, some of us are, may not be in a place to do that, but there are opportunities, and as I mentioned, the grants that are available to do that, where you, you, may, not be, you may not be the party animal, but you're the person who could spark the idea and get some of your neighbors excited about it. So I want to end with... What are the barriers? What are the barriers to you and me being good neighbors? What, and those barriers might be physiological barriers. They might be geographical barriers. They might be emotional barriers. I think they're usually emotional and spiritual. And Jesus, I think, in these readings of Advent, when he talks about the busyness of marrying and giving in marriage and buying and selling, and, you know, we all got to live. We got to make a living. That's the reality. You can't stick your head in the sand and deny that. We all have academic deadlines, or we used to, or we, we might. or You know, there's different kinds of deadlines. I just found that when I got done regent, there was other pressures called the National Vineyard. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just never stops. There's always going to be, can I say it? There's always going to be a reason not to be a good neighbor. Always. And so I really want to challenge you to work on stopping. You know, uh, you know why I love reading, doing these readings? is because it forces us to stop. And, and when you read those readings out loud, deliberately go slow. Slow down. Because there's something about Scripture that slows us down. And God wants to slow us down. Now, we all... We're still going to have the same deadlines. We're still going to have the same commitments. Maybe it'll mean making some hard choices sometimes to slow it down. And just watch. And I'm, I mean, I just feel like the Lord is asking us to, to, to be alert this week. To watch as the opportunities come. Uh, it, it, it's... A couple of weeks ago, uh, the, the, the man across the street that, whose name I probably would have put in the top box, it's kind of weird, our situation, because we have duplex where people are in front of us, but then I know people across the street, so I have to double up the magnet. But this one guy, he, you know, I'm, I'm, I got a deadline, I got to make supper for a homestay, and I'm thinking of this and that, and we all go through this, right? And I see the guy pull up in his pickup, and get out of the truck. And part of me went, oh, Lord, why now? Yeah. Right? But then that, Holy, that, that tender prompting of the Holy Spirit that says, opportunity, opportunity. And you know what? For the next 20 minutes, yeah, it was 20 minutes. God moment. God moment. That's all I can say. The presence and power. Just by stopping, how many times did Jesus do a miracle when he stopped? Right? So you're not stopping alone. You're stopping with Jesus. So that means that he's going to take care of things. Like the rice burning on the stove. No, I mean, you know. So here's some takeaway things. What are the biggest barriers? And 
maybe in a minute somebody could run and get the... I told Matt that we'd give them a heads up, so maybe we could get, get the children. What are the biggest barriers to neighboring in my life? You know, when, when the, um, the, the Good Samaritans stopped and the two other religious guys didn't, I think they were good guys, right? But they're you and me. They had compassion fatigue. Life was so busy. They couldn't afford to stop. And I, I, I know, just to balance this out, that, that you do need discernment. You, do, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's not like you trying to run this thing. But it's being watchful. Watching for those opportunities. Secondly, work on your block map assignment and make it your goal to be able to add one name or detail to the map this week. It may not be a name. Maybe it's just a little bit more about that person. Oh, Matt's rounding them up. I can hear it. And in your small group, take time to pray for your neighbors by name and ask God to increase your desire to build relationships with your neighbors. So those, I think, are in your bulletin, so you can take those home, home with you. So just while we're waiting for the kids, um, any feedback? Joanna, grab that mic there. We had a great advantage in, we did this Art of Neighboring series in the summertime, and then our family moved in June. And so it's been great to go into a new neighborhood with that intentionality and being able to introduce ourselves because we were new. Um, yet once summertime passed, uh, we found that everybody goes in their houses and, 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 you know, drives in the carports, and it's harder to get to know people. So we look for little opportunities, you know, we have a great marching band in our neighborhood. So the marching band came out the other day, realized there was a new neighbor across the street. So sure enough, Lynn was at Lynn Lives next door to us. So Lynn and Wade and I were all out there. Hey, are you our new neighbor? Like, I don't know if she thought we were a cult or something. She's like, did you buy the house together? What? And we were like, no, we're just happy to see you. But one thing that our, our family's done is that we do homeschool part of the time with our kids. And grade one, which is my daughter Eleanor, is communities. So we said, okay, we're gonna do Art of Neighboring with Eleanor but it's gonna be a school project. So on Halloween, we dropped off notes and we've been trying to go around to the neighbors and we've only gotten to two so far, but Eleanor made a list of questions. And as Gordy was talking about what the biggest barriers are in our lives, I think anytime anything comes from the front in a teaching, it's always hard not to feel like, oh no, that's something that I have to do. Or I should do this. It's really a good idea if I do this, but I, if I'm a good Christian, I'll do this. And um, I mean, this theme of just learning from our kids, like it, it never gets old. Because I was saying to Eleanor, well, what's a good list of questions that you can ask? You know, what do you think it means to be a good neighbor? Where have you come? I'm talking about you, Nori. Sorry, I hope that's okay. <laughs> and Eleanor, what Eleanor wanted to know, guess what Eleanor wanted to know? She wanted to know, what's your favorite color? And she just said, well, I really just want to look around their house. I mean, really, that's what I want to do. I just want to go in and look at their stuff. And I thought, that's kind of what I want to do, too. Like, when my kids go trick-or-treating, I always want to go to the door with them and look inside the house. And so I, I finally said to her, well, maybe we could put it some way by saying, you know, could you tell me about your home? So she said, okay. Well, we went. We've done two interviews now. One was very pleasant, lovely lady. She answered all the questions. But there was another man who lives across the street from us, and you could just tell that he was lonely. And do you know what his two favorite questions were? What's your favorite color? And can I look around your house? And he had just repainted the house after being married for years and years and years. He and his wife had divorced six years previous. And he had repainted the house his favorite color. And he was so tickled that she had asked him about that and wanted to show her every bedroom. And when she was walking around the house, she found a book. And he had bought it for his granddaughter. And she wanted to look at the book because she'd gone around the house looking. Well, we had a knock at the door two days ago. Guess who it was? It was Murray across the street 
with a copy of the book for Eleanor. And he said, I just wanted to say thank you. She did such a good job on her interview. And I wanted to share this with me. And I thought, oh my goodness, how many, you know, here I am thinking these are the right questions to ask. So my heart, just as Gordy was talking, was, you know, I know that we say this is your assignment or this is your goal. But if you can think about this with a childlike heart, what do you really want to know about your neighbor? What do you really want to know about them? You know, I love your car. How long did you have that car? Or, you know, I just, I've always wanted to see inside your house. Can I, you know, can I look inside your house? You know what? People actually love that question the best. When we've told people that, when I said, you know, I'm trying to think all these great questions for her to ask, and she just really wants to look around your house. And people go, that's hilarious. I want to look around people's houses too. And I go, I know. So that's just my encouragement again is to just um, think with a childlike heart about this. Think about Christmas. If you had a present from your neighbor, what would you want to bring them? If somebody was going to bring something to you, what would you want to do? No? How, what do you really want to know about them? Not what did your pa- do you, what do you think your pastor would want to tell you? Because you know, your pastor is just a guy. You just want to hang out with them too. So that's my thought. That's how our kids are leading us this week again. Thanks, Joanna. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Um, yeah, and, and in, in, in the spirit of Advent, uh, just along with that, any sense of obligation, what, can, can you try to substitute or flip the switch from obligation to adventure and just watchfulness and looking for Jesus to come in your neighborhood and giving you opportunities, just like I did that happened with uh, Tony walking down the street and him getting out of the truck. Just, just, just watching. Just let it be an adventure in watching. So welcome back, kids, uh, from the preschool and primary. We're going to move into a time of communion. And uh, um, I want to tell you about a little girl, and some of you have heard this story before, but it was, she was afraid of the dark. And she was supposed to go to sleep, and she said to her mommy and daddy, I'm afraid. And her daddy said to her, but honey, Jesus is with you. God is with you. And she said, yes, I know, but I need a God with skin on. You ever felt like that? Like you, you, you trust God, but I need somebody that's got skin to hug me and to hold me, right? Yeah. Well, Jesus understood that. And he knew sometimes it would be hard to believe that he was there, especially when it's really dark and maybe bad stuff's going on in our life and it's kind of, we're going through a difficult time. And so what Jesus said is, I'm going to give you, when he was about to die, he said, I'm going to give you something to remember me by. And he said, I'm going to give you something tangible, something solid that you can know that I'm here, that every time you do this together, I am with you. It's like a meal with Jesus. And this bread, as he, and he broke it, he said, this would be symbolizing my body. My, and and it, not only symbolizing, but he said, this bread becomes my body, which is broken for you. And we know that Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. He suffered naked on the cross and was spit on and scorned and rejected. And then he took this juice or wine and he said, this cup is my blood which is shed for you to always remind you that no matter what you've done or where you've been, that if you come to me, my forgiveness is available to you. I will forgive you of any sin that you've done if you come to me. And that's what this cup represents. Can I ask you kids, why did Jesus suffer so badly? Like, couldn't he have just got a little bit of a, I don't know, just knock him out in the head and he's gone? Why, why did he suffer like that? 
He wanted to show us that he could, he would die and come back to life. Thank you, Judah. Good answer. Sophia. Did you all hear that? He said, I'm, I want to show you that I'm doing all this because I love you. I want to show you that I love you. Spot on. You know what? Both those answers are right. I think there's multi-layers, but I think one of the answers, not the only answer, as I've thought about this, is a few minutes ago I was telling the adults about a time in my life when I thought that I was in hell, that God had totally forsaken me and totally rejected me. And did you know that Jesus prayed a similar prayer on the cross? That when he was suffering on the cross in unbelievable pain, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like God was gone? Yeah, me too. Me too. And guess what? God felt that way. God felt that way. God felt rejected by God. It was like God was telling us that no matter what we go through, no matter how painful it is, no matter how dark it is, He's been there. And that where He seems to be the most absent, He's the most present. And so we got a picture from one of our kids this week. And I don't know if you can see the words there. But this is darkness, and then there's light in the middle of it. And does anybody see what the words say? Can you read it out? There is a light in every darkness. That was the word that uh, one of our, our young people got. And they want to remain anonymous, so we're not going to call them out. But I believe that's a word from God for us this morning, that where there is darkness in your life today, where you think that God has vacated. As you have communion this morning, the Lord wants to come and remind you that there is light in that darkness. So I'm just going to invite Rick to come and he's going to give us some logistical instructions. And um, who's helping serve today? I don't know. Oh, Kirsten. Thanks. Come on up, Kirsten. 